I want to welcome you to our services. Before we go to the sermon, um, I was given an announcement with regard to our brother Bill Brown, who is going to be having a surgical procedure tomorrow morning at Williamson Medical Center. And so the Browns are asking for your prayers on his behalf that the procedure goes well and there's a great outcome for, for Bill. Perspective is everything, right? I mean, you can have a situation and everyone, because of their different worldview or just the way their personalities are, they just have a different perspective about it. Um, when, when you look at certain situations, some people can look at that and you're like, that's no big deal, like fixing your sink. And then some of us are like, man, you got to be a professional to do that kind of stuff. You know, you got to get the plunger just the right angle. <laughs> Some people just, it's perspective. How you have things, how you view things. Uh, to some, I'm a man of great stature. <laughs> to others, they just look down upon me all the time. <laughs> and so perspective, right? We're talking about perspective. And, and for instance, I'll give you one more illustration. If I said to you, I promise this sermon will last no more than two hours. And I promise it won't. Some of you are thinking, it's going to last up to two hours. That's what some of you are thinking. But if I said to you, I guarantee you it's going to be more than one minute long. You're like, of course. That's what typical sermons are. This sermon is actually very short. And now, what perspective for some of you, right? Some of you are like, oh, man. You know? <laughs> some of you are like, yeah. <laughs> so, <Amen>. yes. <laughs> so, perspective. We're talking about perspective in the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at Acts chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5 this morning. It's go we're going to be very brief about these chapters, but it's from perspective. For instance, when Mark was reading um, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, notice this word here. At least this is from the New King James translation in verse 13. Now, when they, that is the Sanhedrin, saw the boldness of Peter and John. To some people, there was not boldness. But yet, when Luke writes this, he's writing it with a perspective that Peter and John were extremely bold because they were specifically charged not to preach in the name of Jesus. There, there were threats. There were the potential for beatings. And so there's a lot to say with regard to how things are um, perceived, if you will. And so we're looking at this very concept about what does it mean to be bold for God? Because I believe when we look at people's lives, sometimes we get inspired. We, we get inspired by the way they live for God. And that inspiration kind of builds within us going, ah, I want to be that way. Or, you know, I don't know. I feel like their lives are so distant from mine because these are people, I mean, they're, they're written about because they did great things, right? So we get inspired by people in the scriptures that when we see their faith, like Daniel, how amazing that he could actually stand up to a king that is knowingly going to pronounce him to his death as much as he is loved, because he said, you know, you do whatever you want with me. I'm going to follow Jehovah. And of course, when we see him in the face of lions in that den, if you will, we see great faith in action. We see it with Joseph and many other scenarios. 
we see great inspirational stories written in God's word about people who were convicted about God. But we're also inspired when we have contemporary brethren, right? When we see things that they do. You have brothers and sisters in Christ over the years that you've been walking with God and you look at their lives and you're like, man, that's inspirational. And it builds you up. It gives you the kind of desire that you want to live in this kind of way. Well, here's the thing. Each of us have our own faith. We have our own levels of conviction. And do we see that kind of boldness that is written of others in our, in our walk? And what many of us sometimes will say is, no, not really. I'm just kind of living my, my life, doing my own thing. And it's not really standing out. That's a reality for many. Don't discount that, by the way. If you're living for the Lord, you're living for the Lord. Okay? So please don't feel like it has got to be on some kind of ethereal level of faith. That's not the point. But the point is there are going to be moments in your life when you are challenged in such a manner that someone else is going to perceive you as having this kind of boldness for God. And I want you to focus on that. If you don't have this kind of mindset, I want you to have it. I want you to have a mindset that you are going to be bold for God. And the question then is, how do you get from this nonchalant, maybe lackadaisical mindset that many might have for God? It's almost like you are acquainted with God, but not necessarily bold for him. Because that's the big question. Because I believe that if, if we could, and I've mentioned this a couple of times already, if we could have an Acts chapter 29, for those of you that don't know your Bible, Acts 28 is the last chapter in the book of Acts. <laughs> Acts 29 is our story. If we could have an Acts chapter 29, would we be in it? What would be written about us that would exemplify the Lord's church going out, sharing God's word with this world? That's the big question, right? So the question is, how do you get from A, from acquaintance with God, to boldness for God? The answer is conviction. That's, that's really the bottom line. That's why the lesson is so short and simple. It's not simply having this kind of conviction that says, yes, I want to walk with God. But it, the desire that says, I'm so loyal to you, I'm willing to lay down my life. And that takes growth. It just doesn't happen overnight. For some people, it takes moments of trials that continually build upon the foundation of our faith. And so that's what we're looking at, these kinds of convictions. I want you to see that for the church in Jerusalem, it seemingly happened overnight. But we're not given every single day-to-day -day transaction of life for every single individual. What you're seeing is an overall picture of growth in the convictions that people had when they first came to know Jesus as the Christ and the kinds of things they were willing to go through because of those convictions. That's the kind of boldness that we're seeing in the book of Acts. And we're just looking at these four chapters to give us this very picture. So in Acts chapter 2, the very first scene that we have, right, is this is the day of Pentecost. And here is Peter and the other apostles and the other disciples of Jesus. They're all together and they're speaking in different languages. And what they're doing is they're sharing God's word. At the very end of the sermon that Peter is giving in Acts chapter 2, it says here that he shared with them 
on what they needed to do to be saved. And in verse 40, it says, with many other words of exhortation, he testified saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And so here he is, a Jew among Jews, talking to people about someone who was just crucified a couple of months earlier. Think about that. From an average person's perspective, that's bold. Peter himself, remember, went into hiding. Right? Peter had denied Jesus because he did not want to be associated with him when Jesus was on trial. And yet, this same Peter now is proclaiming, this man whom you crucified, he is Lord. He is the Messiah you were looking for. Come to him. We were reading, he tells them exactly what they needed to do for those who were convicted in their heart when he shared the message. He says, I want you to repent and be baptized. Have the forgiveness of your sins and have the spirit of God as, as God's gift to you. That's what he says. And so many of these individuals, after they were testified, after they were exhorted, excuse me, it says here that they received his word gladly and were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000. Perspective, remember? I heard it recently said it was just 3,000. Because you have many hundreds of thousands, if not more, that are if this big gathering in Jerusalem. So I don't know what the number is, and the percentage may be very, very low, but I'll tell you what. If we had 3,000 in this country on one day, would you say that's pretty cool? Yeah, that's right. It would be. I don't care if we have 350 million in our country. If there are 3,000 souls that would be added to the kingdom of our Lord, we would be making news all across this country. Perspective. This church is brand new, if you will. This is the beginning that Jesus said to Peter he was going to build his church upon those very things of Peter's words. That upon this church, I will build my church, right? Upon you, Peter. That's what we see. If we go on to chapter 3, the storyline picks up where um, we see Peter and John, they're continuing to, to share God's word. They come into the temple. It's during the hour of prayer, and there is a man who is begging. Jesus had him to look at them, and in verse 5, this man looks at them, gives his attention, expecting that he's going to receive something from Peter and John. Peter says to him in verse 6, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And miraculously, that's exactly what happens. This is a man who, as Mark was reading, is 40 years old. Everybody knew him. Everybody knew this was not some prank. This is not some joke. This is not some preacher using this as a prop to show that he can do something amazing. This is a genuine situation where Peter and John share with him this miraculous ability from a standpoint that he is able to rise up and now walk. Okay, so fast forward. Peter continues preaching. We're in verse 11. It says, as that lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. Perspective. They're amazed. Here's Peter's response. 
Men of Israel, verse 12, why do you marvel? <laughs> They're marveling, and he's not. Perspective. They're imagining an amazing situation, and he's like, if you just knew who we are proclaiming. They go on continuing to proclaim God's word. In fact, in verse 14, he gets, quote-unquote, bold. Peter says, but you, Jews, denied the Holy One and just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him, through Jesus, that is, has given him, this lame man, this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Well, long story is short. After he goes on sharing God's word, he, in fact, gets arrested. In chapter 4, it says, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. And being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So here he is, arrested now for preaching in the name of Jesus after healing this person. We pick up in verse 5. It says, It came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, they were gathered together at Jerusalem. Okay? So in other words, you got all the bigwigs. And you have this fisherman and this son of thunder together in the midst of all the bigwigs. Would you be intimidated? Many would. These two men were not. Perspective. They go on sharing the gospel with the rulers of the people. That's what they did. In fact, when he got done, it says in verse 13, as Mark read this morning, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men they marvel. What kind of boldness is this? They're, they're the ones in great big numbers and just two guys in the midst of them. And they're having threatening words thrown at them. It's an amazing thing when you're so single-minded, you're oblivious to the circumstances that would otherwise shake you in your knees. I'll give you an illustration of this. This happened on somewhere on the last day of May or the first day of June in 1989. Some of you know the story. <coughs> Young man, selling books door to door. He goes up, speaks to an old woman, and while old woman, this woman is 80 years old, so to a young man who is not yet 21, that's old. Speaks to an old woman, and while conversing with her, three police cars come, come to a screeching halt. This man jokingly says, they're probably after me. They were. <laughs> he gets taken into the police station. The sergeant hates door-to-door -door salespeople. 
and the sergeant has him purposely put in into interrogation room after having been fingerprinted for, for selling books door to door without a city permit. That's the kind of intimidation that was going on. And the sergeant interrogates this young person. In the meanwhile, this young person smiles at him, not of arrogance, but of pure joy. Pure joy because that young person just became a Christian. Pure joy because there were much more important things in life than getting arrested for selling books door to door. I'm that young person. I was on fire for the Lord and I was wanting to talk to this woman that I had just met about Jesus. Selling books just became a by, byproduct of my day. I'm telling you right now, perspective changes everything. How you look at life, how you look at the circumstances that you're faced with, it really does. And while these individuals, the Sanhedrin, were looking at these men as being greatly bold men for this Jesus, that they specifically charged him not to preach in his name. And as Mark read for us, they simply said, this is what we do. In fact, verse 19, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. We cannot speak the things with which we have seen and heard. And so when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Now pick up on the storyline because Peter and John have been let go from prison, if you will. And they meet up with the church. This is the church that, mind you, have family members who have not yet converted to Christianity. Family members who believe that Jesus was a blasphemer. Family members from the Jewish standpoint that says, if you follow this Jesus, we have nothing to do with you. So these are members within the body of Christ that have family members and have friends that hate Jesus and hate the way of Jesus. We pick up in verse 23. It says, being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. That's what they prayed. That's the kind of prayers we need, brethren. We need prayers for the servants of God, of which we all are, to be bold. The times are here, and, and I, I've said this all throughout the, the years we've been here, and, and Ron has said it on various occasions. Other men have said it here. It's only going to get more difficult in this country to be a child of God. 
it is becoming more and more a threat to be labeled Christian. And we're going to need that kind of boldness if you don't already have that. And if you don't already have it, to pray for this kind of boldness. God did not desire for us nor want us to have a spirit of timidity when it comes to sharing good news. There's nothing timid about sharing good news anyway. It's good news. It's a perspective. In chapter 5, verse 29, after yet again, Peter and the other apostles are before the council. We see their words to the council. In verse 29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said to these religious leaders, we must obey God rather than men. That's the bottom line. We're going to listen to our, our God. He is our ruler. He is our king. That's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to him. So what does that mean for our level of conviction? Well, I want you to just think about these things. How do your daily decisions play out? Some of them are insignificant, right? I'm going to have Cheerios this morning. That's my decision. And then there are going to be some decisions that, you know, you may lose your job if you are serving the Lord faithfully. Whatever the decisions are, how do they play out with regard to your conviction? Are they heard in your prayers? Are your prayers so convicted and fervent? Or is it simply just something to say, something to do, and you've done a prayer? Is it heard through your prayers, the conviction that you have, the boldness that you have, the boldness that you ask for? Is it seen with the way we worship, that there is this boldness about the way we worship God, that we mean what we say? We're not just humming tunes, saying words, but that they are heartfelt, full of boldness. For whatever the reasons why, I don't know. I don't know why this is. I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but among many brethren, it's just words sung. Not words, heartfelt, with great conviction. And you can tell some days, right, it, when, when everyone's hearts are into it, you just, you just feel that, it's very edifying. That's the kind of boldness in the worship that we have. How about when it, when it goes out and reaches those souls that we're trying to touch with the gospel of Jesus? Is it that level of conviction that is so real they immediately get the sense of who they are in the presence of. A child of God who loves and wants to reach me. Every day we have opportunities if we avail ourselves. Do they see the kind of conviction that could be read like what we were just reading in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 2 for that matter. The kind of boldness that the world would marvel when they see how you behave, when they see the things that you say. And I'm not talking about a boldness, although it may be inclusive of this, that is just so firm and booming sound. I'm not talking about boom sounds. I'm talking about the boldness that you're willing to stand for truth, you're willing to speak the truth, and you're willing to live out truth. 
that is absolutely clear to them. You have such a level of conviction that those who are searching for salvation in the name of Jesus will see you as an example of it. That's what we're talking about. Simple lesson, all about perspective. Go live bold lives. Simple exhortation, right? But if you're going to go from acquaintance of God to a boldness for him, it's not just doing things. It's a relationship with him that you have that is real, that is sure, and so powerfully convicting that you're able to take that exhortation and live it out. That's your exhortation, brethren. For those of you that need to come to the fountain of God, simple, easy to be bold in this room, but we exhort you to come nonetheless. There was a time when Julie and I had a Bible study with a man who was a cross-dresser, and um, he said, you sound so bold in your own house, Mitch. Come down, let me have you give your message to all my friends. Let's see how bold you are then. I remember, you remember that, hon? <laughs> it was 1992 or three. So it was three or four, I guess, in our marriage. And um, I'd be more than happy to, was more than happy to then. He didn't give me the opportunity. He just was words. But I mean it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all, for every person who needs salvation. And so with love, not just boldness, but with love for your soul, I want you to die. Die to yourself and rise to walk in the name of Jesus Christ in newness of life. And if you are asking for boldness and you're wanting prayers for it, by all means, let us know. We'd be happy to pray for you. But go live bold lives for Jesus Christ and let's see what happens as God continues to work in his kingdom and for his kingdom. Why don't you do that right now? Let's together we stand and sing.